Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, a Penguin Random House publication that came out in 2015, and you can pick up a copy of that everywhere. The podcast, Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, is my way of taking the book and going a little further to talk about all the interesting factors that play into our lives as parents, from you know pre-pregnancy planning all the way through prenatal care, pregnancy, birth, and you know then the rest of your lives. Once you're a parent, you are always a parent, and it impacts everything that you do from then on. There is so much to talk about, and every week, somebody fascinating who's working in this birth world or parenting world or medical world Somebody pops up, and I just have to talk to them. And this week's guest is one of those people. Our paths have almost certainly crossed over the years when I was writing for Fit Pregnancy and other magazines and, you know, then later in my work with Every Mother Counts. But I'm not 100% sure Dr. Ginger Breedlove and I have had a chance to really chat before. Um, I know we're going to have a lot to talk about, so this week, let's cut to the chase and call up our guest. Dr. Ginger Breedlove joined Baby and Company in June 2016 as Senior Vice President of Clinical Operations. She is the immediate past president of the American College of Nurse Midwives, serving from 2013 to 2016. Prior to joining Baby and Company, Dr. Breedlove was Professor of Graduate Nurse Midwifery Training and Doctoral Education for 17 years, serving as faculty at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia for six years, and founding program director of the University of Kansas Graduate Nurse Midwifery Specialty Track. She co-founded the first freestanding birthing center in Kansas in 1979, and established the first full-scope certified nurse midwifery service in Greater Kansas City in 1994. She's also one of the founders and coordinators of the Mother's March on Washington, which is coming up on this Mother's Day. And wow, that bio. Let's get Ginger on the phone. Hi. It's Jeannie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really well. Ginger, where in the country am I finding you? I live in Kansas City, in the greater Kansas City area on the Kansas side. I have never been there. I hear it's it's really, really interesting. It's a beautiful city. And of course, you know, we're the proud um, supporters of the Kansas City Royals who won the uh, baseball pennant a couple of years ago. Hell yeah. yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And when I hear Kansas City, I think um, really good music and barbecue. And I hear people say that it is similar to my town, Portland. Oh, well, for the- you know, the, a little different. I love the fish market in Portland. Um you know, of course, we don't have the beautiful ocean to look at, but there is amazing cuisine, barbecue in Kansas City and of of course, it's the home of jazz. So yeah. it's a fun city, yeah. really fun city. Oh, I'm going to get there one you day. You should. You should then come. We yeah. should meet for coffee or visit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I read your bio a little, a little moment ago, and you've sort of been all over Facebook and social media lately because 
You're one of the founders and coordinators of the Mother's March on Washington this Mother's Day. Am I right? You're right. Yeah. But before we talk about that, and I want to talk about that a lot today, I want to ask you the most important question ever. Are you ready? I'm ready. Who are you and what do you do? What a fascinating question. I, I would describe I know. myself first as a mother of four amazing sons um, who have grown into adults uh, with the youngest being 21 and um, are such nurturing men. I'm so proud of them and who they've become. Uh, so I always start with my family. I'm, I'm married to an, a wonderfully amazing a man who has supported me through so much of my career and taught me so much about uh, many of the leadership roles I've been in. So family always comes first for me. And secondarily, I would say I, I'm a nurse and a midwife. I've done nothing mm -hmm. but maternal child health for my almost 40 year career. And that mm -hmm. background uh, really took me into the profession of nurse midwifery, which, which I've been for 37 years. You and I, I think have very similar career paths and um, stories. I also have a passel of kids and, you know, this long career in, in the birth industry, as I kind of refer to it. And then we've kind of segued into these other things, these offshoots. So that kind of leads us into talking a little bit about the march right off the bat. I think that's the most important thing that I want to I'd love to talk about Hear that. Hear you talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's let's describe it for listeners who are getting this from for the very first time. And then, you know, let's talk a little bit about the objective and the format and what's going to happen and okay. how this is different than the inauguration weekend march. Right, exactly. Well, I'll, I'll try to shorten a version that varies based on who's, who's in front of me and how much time we have. But it's important to know just just what we shared momentarily uh, just, just a minute ago, it, that mm -hmm. I've been in maternity care in some way, and, and I've seen myself on the professional side of rendering services to, to moms and families for a very, very long time. I became a childbirth educator um, before even finishing nursing school and sort of walked the world of how could you be a childbirth educator when you don't even have babies and you're 20 years old. Uh, right. And was really grounded in, in an amazing uh, people that came before me uh, who mm -hmm. were really leaders in in what, you know, we typically call natural childbirth. So I was a childbirth educator for 14 years in the early part of my journey uh, while I was a nurse in a hospital and then moved to starting the first birthing center in Topeka, Kansas. It's now open 40 years later. So I've come through the birth world, as you describe, with a philosophic belief of 85 plus percent of women can give birth with support without intervention. And, and mm -hmm. I've seen that enough in my life uh, in terms of, of personal experiences. I know that to be true without doubt. So to, to run into how we got to this march, that long career has provided me opportunities to, to be part of ICEA and to be part of, of A1 and to be part of the American College of Nurse Midwives. And to Let, be... Let's stop for just a second because most of our listeners aren't in the biz. So let's okay. do the, the actual 
words for it first. Yeah, um, I I was involved in the international childbirth education movement for quite a while. Um, then I sort of moved into the A1 organization, which is the Association for Women's Health Obstetric and Neonatal Nurses. And as I became a nurse midwife, I moved into professional leadership roles in the American College of Nurse Midwives. Excellent. Thank you. Now we can use sure. the alphabet. <laughs> sure. So over that time, of course, I, I attended a lot of meetings, uh, professional develop meetings, development meetings, as well as as task force events and things that, you know, you hope will lead to improving health and outcomes of families. And walk the walk, very long time on the state and national level. Um, and something happened to me last May. I, it was my last year as president of the American College of Nurse Midwives, a three-year term. And mm -hmm. we uh, have a uh, precedent of inviting ACOG presidents to the presidential suite one of those evenings for a informal gathering, strategic planning, partnership building experience, and two ACOG presidents were there in addition to a uh, fairly young obstetrician, Dr. Neil Shaw, who I had invited sure. as a guest speaker at that annual meeting. And I said to Dr. Jennings and Dr. Gelhouse, how would you feel if, if, if Dr. Shaw came to this gathering? Because he in some ways would have been an outsider from our historic model. And they said, oh, we'd love to have Neil there. You know, they had heard his presentation. And so we had about 12 people in the room, our executive board of the American College of Nurse Midwives and a couple of staff and as in this giant room and of course a nice meal and wine is flowing and Dr. Jennings and I had been partners in our presidential leadership over a couple of years and became honestly very good friends in the work that was done between ACOG and ACNM and he shared that and I'm, I'm sure he would be fine with me telling this story he shared in 2011 and 2012 that he wanted his year as president of ACOG, of which they get one initiative, to be getting a million moms on the mall to raise awareness of mm. women's health. And, and it mm. didn't fly. And mm. Neil was listening, and I'm sitting there, and Neil's like, what do you mean? We can do that. You know, here's this young, you know, recently board certified uh Doc, outspoken, outspoken, brash young man. <laughs> you know, very well connected outside of healthcare in our country, even. And, you know, yeah. John and I are just kind of looking at each other. And of course, we all were excited. The room got excited. Nothing happened. Everybody went home. Nothing happened. And so I was a part of the American Association of Birth Centers annual meeting in Pittsburgh last October, the week before Halloween, and spoke on a panel. Um, about staffing models for birthing centers. And while I was there, I heard the lobbyist who represents ACNM and the American Association of Birth Centers speak on current advocacy issues that we should be, you know, embracing mm -hmm. for 90 minutes. And I left the meeting truly appreciating. I, I, I love the folks that work at Patrick's, Patrick Cooney's law firm. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, lobby firm. But but I've heard the same thing, quite honestly, Jeannie, I've heard for the last 40 years. And I Me was too. like, when are we going to get past this? Like, 
Yeah. How many more meetings is it going to take when we reinvent the wheel and recall it something every 10 years? And I left just totally frustrated. And yeah. so I chose, after I talked to my husband, to email about five key people in my life who are really well-known national leaders of diverse organizations. And I included Neil and John. And I said, like, am I crazy? Do you think we can do this? And every single person in a fraction of a second said, yes, and I want to help. And that's really how it started. Before we hit the election day vote that each of us that chose to vote <clears throat> made, we had decided to have some kind of experience on the mall in D.C. and chose mm -hmm. Mother's Day. And, well, and that's yeah. really the evolution of, of how this happened, Jeannie. And, you know, we, we saw the Women's Day march. We were a little worried that they would so overcast us. We did not want to be a partisan event, but rather mm -hmm. an event that focused on health of moms, babies, and families as bipartisan mm -hmm. as possible. And we're now at 17 national organizations who have signed on. Great. This is great. So the objective is what? What do you hope to come from today, from that day? Objective number one is to raise national awareness, consumer awareness, and congressional awareness. I think all the national organizations who are coming have been singing to the choir a very long time. And whether, yeah. whether their members are paying attention or not, the national level knows. We, we're sort of hedging our bets on something that Neil Shaw shared. And I don't know how well he knew about the Fed Up rally, which happened three years ago. It's an organization of grassroots families and national organizations that took on the opioid epidemic three years ago on the mall in exactly the same model we're doing. And look where they are three years later. Uh, yeah, that's been huge. Hundreds of millions of dollars to address the opioid epidemic. And all of my research from the CDC website demonstrates that death of moms and traumatized uh, comorbidities of childbearing women far outnumber those who we lose to opioid overdose. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible. But it's incredible. people don't know. I mean, we're all talking to each other. We're, I have right. a daughter-in-law who I can now publicly share is 17 weeks pregnant. She, it's my Yay. first my first grandchild oh. uh, coming in September. Oh, she has a master's degree in tax accounting and is clueless about what's going on in America related to pregnancy for women and, and their families. Right. Clueless. Right. We have to change that. Yeah. Well, I think... I think that that's really common because, you know, it isn't relevant information to you, the kind that you really, really take in and absorb until you're there for most women. And then I think that the real challenge right now is once you are there and you need to take in this volume of information about how to plan your pregnancy and what kind of prenatal care to get and what, you know, barriers you need to overcome then I think we're in this position where the information that women get is funneled through very, very narrow avenues and they don't get the full spectrum. And what they get, most women, 
is this version of prenatal care that is very fear-based, intervention-based, and all about ruling out rare, you know, fairly unusual complications exactly. that 85% of women don't exactly. have. But that takes up probably 85% of their prenatal care. Yeah, I, is I focusing on something they don't have. Yeah, I, I it's frustrating. The majority of women <laughs> probably have that experience. <laughs> You know, I, I don't think, I certainly don't think all do, but also women. No, not all, know, but still most. And and yet women haven't chosen to become actively engaged in their care by and large. I don't think it occurred to them that they could be until recently. I think that this is, you know, to you and I, this is old news. You got to be there. You got to show up. You got to ask the questions and make the decisions. But most of us are not acculturated to have that kind of a dynamic in our healthcare relationships. I completely you know, it, agree. Yeah, it's, we, it's, we've yeah. set that dynamic up in the pediatric office, you know, where the doctor tells you what to do and you do it. And then you go to your gynecologist later in life and she or he gives you the information you need and the services and supplies you need. You know, it's weird. Very few people realize that, oh, no, this is actually a business and they're selling you a product and you are the consumer and you could go buy a different product if you like it better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's my rant, Ginger. You and I could rant and rant on that, couldn't we? (laughs) I think patient-centered interviewing is is changing that a little bit, but it's still not widely Mm -hmm. adopted in health professions education. Uh, No, it's not. And it is trying to prompt people who have, do not have that experience or have self-empowerment to know um, how, to, how to approach the visit in a way where they are equal an equal partner. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's why, I wrote, that's why I wrote my second book, Common Sense Pregnancy, yeah. is because people don't know what's the other side of the story. You know, they know what the patient experience is expected to be, but they don't have the full information of what's going on on the other side of that bed with your care providers and your, you know, the hospital system and all the decisions you're supposed to make. And I, I would like to think that the kind of work that you're doing and the kind of conversations that we're having around the, the country is, mm, could it be a crack in the ceiling? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I just was talking to Neil this morning. Um, our we have a professional video that should be released sometime today. I think we're I think we're going to start to shift the frame. I really do believe that on so many issues. Um, mm-hmm. And I get that encouragement from Debbie Jessup is a PhD nurse midwife that has been a health the top health aide for congressional woman representative. Um, Lucille Roybal Allard for mm-hmm. about 12 years. She's a Democrat out of California. And Debbie said they have never seen anything of this magnitude in DC about, wow. about care of moms, babies, and families. And our strategy to intentionally add the family leave topic was, was to emphasize this isn't just about childbirth. This is about families. And it's about parenting and, and about parenting. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, and it's about, um, gender equity. 
Absolutely. And, so you know, I've, I've said, <laughs> yeah, it's about feminism. It's about, you know, making this a country where we can actually raise our children to be the people we want them to be. I think that an awful lot of women don't realize that feminism is relevant to their lives until they enter prenatal care. And if they don't get it then, then they get it when they go back to work because they have the child care scramble Absolutely. and the, you know, and it's, um, it's, it's traumatic. It's, it's hard mm. to describe the national partnership for women and families have this amazing, like two minute video that I just discovered a couple days ago about women staying pregnant for like, as long as a giraffe, maybe, I don't, I don't know. Uh -huh. and, and she just keeps, you know, tripling the size of her uterus because she can't figure out everything she needs to get figured out before she delivers. And it's right. all about coordinating your family after the baby's born. It is yeah, such a which satirical is approach, but so yeah. true. Yeah. And you have to do that scramble while you're healing from your birth, while you're breastfeeding your That's baby, right. while you're trying to figure out who the heck am I now that I'm a mother? Yeah. yeah. And how am I going to afford this? You're supposed to be, you know, happy about everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Your entire life, if it doesn't have a rosy glow, yeah. well, then you're doing it wrong. That's right. Guess what we so call that? Look at all the hidden depression we have postpartum. Yeah. 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 I know it's, yeah, you know it's what, all it's bullshit. It's all <laughs> interrelated, but you know, it, yeah. we, we haven't, I don't think we've done a great job as educated professionals helping consumers put the puzzle together and go, here's the light bulb. I get it. You know, um, yeah. the thing about the opioid epidemic, I, I don't want to sort of belabor that, but I was just saying to my husband, who's this is a genius attorney. Like, help me understand, Joe, how are how are they so far ahead when you know what's going on with with maternity care in our country? And, and he goes, look, it's happening to all ages of all genders across the life spectrum. And mm -hmm. they believe, you know, the funders or whoever sort of figured out how to win this war believe that if they give money to physicians and to uh, pharmacists for, you know, for, for registries and things like that, that it will, that it will fix it. You know, you have a very circumscribed audience, which I think you started out by saying, Jeannie, we have mm -hmm. women for a very short period of time and, mm -hmm. and the events are siloed. They're not linked together, even between providers. Um, right. And so it makes their care uh, and the needs so much harder to to package and um, therefore uh, not seen as a, I think an advocacy issue that really is cross-cutting. Yeah. Um, yeah. For all women. I think, so <clears throat> what is going to be the, what's going to be the format? How's it going to work? Sure. I know that it's on Mother's Day from one to four, correct? Sure. But we and, have an event and before then. We, we well, let's gonna, talk about it. Yeah, we're going to lead off with a Hill briefing on Friday afternoon. Uh, mm -hmm. We um, will get uh, great uh, sponsorship and support from the Maternity Care Caucus, which is a bipartisan mm -hmm. group. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about an hour and a half in the Congressional Visitors Center to have presentations that are kind of were an overview of the state of health of moms and babies. The March of Dimes uh, advocacy director will be speaking. 
uh, the legislative director for the National Partnership for Women and Families will be speaking, the legislative advocacy director for the National Maternal Mental Health Coalition will be speaking, we'll have a consumer speak, and our goal is to have about 50 uh, representatives or health aides in that room with about 50 of us on, on the non-congressional side talking uh, mm-hmm. and really, really emphasizing the, the five bills that we'll be bringing forward for the weekend, uh, which will be including lobbying on Friday and lobbying the Monday after Mother's Day. So we're very excited about that Hill briefing and are very hopeful to get direct attention um, to people. On the Mother's Day rally itself, um, we have the Jefferson Memorial the entire day. Uh, It was a bit of a a journey to work with the National Park Service, but we we have Mm -hmm. all that figured out and great support from them. Uh, The memorial can accommodate 5,000 people. Um, we, we set a personal, you know, our committee goal of 2000, but to be honest with you, Jeannie, I would love for it to be overflowing and crowd control be called in. Uh, I want that million. I, I want the million. I, I want the whole darn million. <laughs> so I know that the fed up rally started with a tad under 2000, um, from the event, right, uh, reservations that I've been overseeing, we're, we're definitely going to come close to 2000 probably surpass it. Um, We have the afternoon divided up into sort of three segments that Mm -hmm. have diverse presenters, um, entertainment, there'll be craft and physical activities for kids, professional kite flying uh, around the memorial, and we want it to be fun, engaging, and not depressing. Uh, we really mm-hmm. want people to come to, to spend their Mother's Day afternoon uh, in a way that's uplifting and educationally informative. We're so proud to say uh, we have we are paying none of our speakers. Uh, they're coming on their own. We have the presidents of many organizations, including the American College of OBGYNs, the American College of Nurse Midwives, the American Association of Women's Health and Obstetric Nurses. Uh, We have the founder of Every Mother Counts, Christy Turlington, speaking. We have National Birth Equity um, Group who made the Fusion video, if your listeners have not watched Death by Delivery, a focus Mm -hmm. on Black maternal mortality. Uh, We'll be speaking uh, a variety of family consumer voices are on the panel. Uh, we really have broken it up in, in hopefully a way where people don't feel like they're being lectured to, but that there really mm-hmm. is a blend of mm-hmm. experts uh, coming. Gene DeClerc is coming to speak. He's such a humorous speaker, um, mm-hmm. as well as uh, as well as personal experiences. Um, we have an actor from London flying over. Uh, I don't know if you heard of the Women Deliver Conference, an international. Of course, meeting. I was there in Malaysia. So I was there in Malaysia for Every Mother Counts. There you go. So David Monteith yeah. is coming from the UK uh, to uh, be with us, uh, and a full DC choir will end the event uh, at four in the afternoon. Oh my God! So we're so very cool. excited. Very excited. I bet. I bet. 
Well, I want to be there. I haven't found my way there yet, but you know, I'm hoping that, that the right opportunity arises. It's going to be an important, important day. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk, um, let's not go too deep, but I do want to talk about the advocacy issues that you'll be lobbying on, on um, Monday after. And advocacy and lobbying is sort of my wheelhouse. In fact, I'm going to be going over to my senator's office after this podcast and lobbying about the REACH Act, which is, you know, a global maternal health uh, piece of legislation. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Sure. Let's talk about what are the five pieces of legislation that you want to lobby on? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first one is is H.R. 315, Improving Access to Maternity Care Act. And this is, this is uh, receiving bipartisan support. It passed in the House. It was one of the last things I did uh, in, as president of ACNM that really just stood out for me. Uh, I was invited to be the speaker at the congressional hearing of the House and Energy Committee on this bill, and that was an unbelievable experience. Uh, Our goal is to simply, in a budget-neutral fashion, define the health provider shortage areas to go beyond primary care, which they currently include, to maternity care access definitions so that we can route obstetricians, family doctors, nurse midwives into health provider shortage areas that are defined as areas of need for maternity services. It's a really- There are entire parts of the country where there is oh nobody. Talk, talk yeah, women it. in labor drive four two hours thirds, just to- Two yeah. thirds of the country is in rural America. Yeah. yeah. Great article yeah. just came yeah. out highlighting that. But also the deep south, the southern block where our worst maternal mortality is, uh, is in such need as well. So that's House House Bill 315 um, that actually is now in the Senate. Uh, recently released by the Preeclampsia Foundation and ACOG is, is House Bill 1318, Preventing, Preventing Maternal Death Acts. Um, this really is... Again, uh, a focus on having funding and supporting femur boards, fetal infant mortality review boards in every state uh, in our nation. Right now, we have about half of the states. It's voluntary. Uh, States like Texas have two boards where they probably should have 10 based on their population density to, to basically hold systems accountable for why moms are dying. Mm -hmm. Incredibly important and just came out in 2017. Um, Senate Bill 3, because go ahead. At at this point, it's kind of, you know, scattershot across the country, whether states have review boards or not. And what that essentially means for listeners who aren't, don't really know what we're talking about here is that when a mother dies, from a pregnancy-related condition, whether that is, you know, in the hospital during labor and delivery or shortly after, um, it's kind of hit and miss whether or not her death is going to be investigated and then um, attributed to being a maternal mortality. And so if we don't know that she died from pregnancy-related conditions, then we're not going to make any systemic changes to make sure it doesn't happen to another mother. That's right. And so it's hit and miss right now. Hospitals can kind of choose. Some states are making it mandatory, though. 
yeah, we're far, we're far from that. In the states where we really need the femur boards, again, the Southern Poverty Block do not have them. Right, and that's where and there's most a of lot, the, there's yeah. a lot of pressure to not report these things because of you know insurance premiums and you know hospital system reputations. It's not good when you you know mess that's up right. a mother or a baby. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of impetus to not report. It's yeah. It's pretty it's pretty devastating to to think uh-huh. we don't want to improve. Quality improvement should be the top of everyone's goal. Um, but it isn't the top of everyone's goal. In reality it isn't. The top of the top of the person industry goal is business. I know, Jeannie. I'm trying not yeah. to go hard on that, but I agree with you. But I get to. I get to go hard because I'm not the head of anything. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I agree. I do agree. Well, you follow the money. That's, That's been my long-time mantra. And then you'll know where the yeah. problems are. Yeah. Um, Let's cover the other advocacy bills really quickly. Sure. And then I want to talk, as with our time that's left, I want to talk about um, Baby and Company. So... Go ahead. So there, there, were there, there are there are three more um, that all sort of come together related to to the Family Act, uh, parental um, paid family leave. Um, it, it there are three bills that sort of link together related to uh, Senate Bill three thirty seven, Senate Bill twenty five, and House Resolution thirty four. These will all be out on our website marchformoms.org in final form uh, by the end of this week. Uh, we're, we're just right. touching up the one pager a little bit. So they're focusing on um, maternal and family leave policies, addressing um, basically uh, improvement for child care alliance, uh, allowances, things like that. We are yeah. highlighting the House Resolution 34 that passed the 21st Century Cures Act, bringing mm-hmm. postpartum depression out of the shadows because we don't want it repealed and we want it funded. Uh, so we will be highlighting that. And then House Resolution 1174, which is requiring all public buildings to support the need for breastfeeding mothers. Uh, so that is a nutshell of, of what our- Well, I, I think that, that it's really important for people to hear about the nutshell because the vast majority of people in America don't realize that there's more to making change happen than showing up at a protest or demonstration. That is about activism. Yes. You know, raising voices, Absolutely. raising awareness, um, and getting people to look at you. But then advocacy is the most important part because that's what you have to say, who you say it to. And if you've got a strong message and you say it to the people who are in power to make the change happen, now you're an advocate. Absolutely. Now you're a lobbyist. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. We will be having a thunderclap it. Um, it's social media, a new world for me, uh, that yeah. will focus on all of these advocacy issues around the events event weekend itself. So for people yeah. who can't come, uh, there will be a way to be a part of that advocacy from your own home. And you'll definitely be putting information Absolutely. up on the website so that I imagine that once you, um, that you'll probably put up some scripts and things like that so that people can call their own representatives. We do have to get up. That's right. Great. Great. Well, cool. Well, I want to talk about baby and company. And I think that I wonder if you and I have spoken in the past about this because, um, 
Kara Osborne is your partner, correct? Yeah, she's the founder. Yeah. Well, Kara and I was senior writer for Every Mother Counts for, uh, I think, about four years. I see. And she and I have spoken many times, and we traveled in Haiti together um, for Midwives for Haiti with EMC. So, you know, it all comes around. Yes, it does. Yeah, but Baby and Company is brilliant, and I want people to know about it. Wonderful. I love it. Wonderful. Well, Jeannie, yeah. I came on 10 months ago when I ended uh, the presidency of ACNM, and Kara mm-hmm. had been courting me for about a year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if you remember, I started in the birth center world. I started the first birth center with two other women in Topeka. And the first mm-hmm. 14 years of my career as a nurse midwife, as a nurse and a nurse midwife, we're at the Topeka Birth Center, and, and it's still going. Uh, mm-hmm. And so everything about me is grounded in what a birth center provides and how it um, upholds uh, families' choice, quality care, safe care, and highly satisfactory care. So as I was thinking about you know my last tour, having been in practice 25 years, academia, 17 years, and now I have somebody knocking on my door, did I want a new job? I I have honestly, in reflection, changed major positions and mostly of things I've started, like the first midwife practice in Kansas City, the midwifery education program at KU, um, I, you know, the birth center in Topeka. After about 10, 11 years, I get a little restless Mm -hmm. Uh, The programs and projects have all continued, but I like adventure and a little bit Mm -hmm. of challenge. It's just who I am. It took me a long time, honestly, to say yes to Kara uh, because I wasn't quite sure. Uh, Which is remarkable because she is very persuasive. (laughs) She is. She is. I think we were both doing a little dance about is the fit right for both of us. I'm I'm the grandmother of baby and company, you know, in terms of age. Mm -hmm. These are all Mm -hmm. young women who are, you know, such amazing go-getters. And um, this is a model that is uh, supported by an investor. uh, And it's a startup company. And that means you work hard and you work fast. Um, And so when I made the decision to do it, it really rounded out me going back to my very core of what I believe, which is for normal birth. Uh, being in a environment that is a birth center is, is probably the healthiest place to have your baby for a lot yeah. of reasons. And so I've been there uh, 10 months now and um, oversee a senior vice president all the clinical operations of our current centers <clears throat> and our emerging centers. So, so what, can I, can I, I, I think I remember Kara telling me that it was sort of like a pop-up like you baby and company is everything that you need to sort of put a franchise birth center in every city in america right i mean it's like the blueprint it's all there you just have to fill in the blanks yeah i i Mm -hmm. i I want us to not not call it a franchise that that bristles kara and even me a little oh okay because okay because a franchise is a complete replication down to how you fold the napkin and the, oh. model, the model here really is, if, if you walk in a baby and company birth center, they do look similar, right? Because of purchase power, 
the more sofas mm-hmm. you buy, the less expensive it is to buy a sofa, you know, or mm-hmm. however you're, however you're sort of designing some of those procurement pieces that are replicable. But from mm-hmm. the clinical side and from the partnership side, it is as unique as the city that each of these birth centers reside in because the standard of care is typically dictated by by the community, by the providers, mm-hmm. and um, to some degree by hospitals, whether you want to believe that or not. Um, so the, the... Oh, I believe yeah, that. The, the birth I... centers are a little different in every city. Um, we have six and probably we'll have five more done by the end of the year. Go you. This yeah. is awesome. So the piece yeah. of replicating them being a blueprint is true. We were just on a call about our Florida, Orlando, Florida birth center that will open late summer. The model of, of getting it from the point of all parties agree and you have the site to either um, empty the walls and rebuild it really is down to a science now and how we get the mm-hmm. clinical teams hired and ready and and the accreditation piece and the licensure piece done. It, that is that is for pretty close to a well-honed science now. But there are specific nuances that are so different about the hospital partners. Just rules and regulations about how nurse midwives practice differently in state by state. Sure. So sure. It's exciting. You know, to me, I yeah. call it, and I think Kara's okay with me saying this, the great American experiment. And I say that with, I, I mean, as a PhD scientist, I believe that we have the opportunity here between the data set that Baby, Baby and Company will have and the data set that the um, Strong Start program received, which are 31 plus accredited birth centers in our country that only provided data on their Medicaid births. When we combine those two data sets, we're going to have a huge in to demonstrate to the payers who are the most difficult to convince that this is a safe, economical, and cost-saving model of care. That is when you highly, say the payers, who are you talking about? We're talking about are you talking about Cigna, the Blues? Uh, the got it. Got it. The insurance you, providers. Yeah, they control yeah. where you have your baby. Yep. <laughs> you know. Yes, they do. It's got to change. Show and me the gonna, money. They're going to follow the money. There we go. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. And I'm really yeah. inspired by it. Yeah. And I love how it is both accommodating a community need and representing women in this strong business-oriented, business-oriented framework. And it's just everything about it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. Wonderful yeah. Name, yeah. It's, it's, well, I hear your, I hear your phone ringing and we've been talking for a little while. So I think that I should probably wrap you up with our last two questions. Okay. Unless, unless I've missed anything. Is there anything you want to say before I, no, this has been you? great. This has been great. We'll keep going. Good. Good. Okay. How do you fill in the phrase? Nobody ever told me that. Helping people learn how to have difficult conversations would be so complex. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to think about that all day, I think. 
Do you have a follow-up line on that? In, in my experience, um, where we break down in making progress, whether it's in our family, with our children, in our work environment, with partners <laughs> that, that we never thought we could partner with before, in the maternity mm-hmm. care world, let's just say ACOG and ACNM and, and, the, and the direct entry midwifery group, until we learn how to have difficult conversations together better, it mm-hmm. will take us a very long time to achieve our common goal. And mm-hmm. communication to me is the essence of successful anything, X, I don't care yeah. what you call it. Uh, and people have to realize that it's normal to have difficult conversations. So for me to have learned <laughs> over many leadership roles that not only do you embrace it, but you ask for it. I, I wish someone had taught me that long before I learned it by hard knocks. Ask to have the difficult conversations. Absolutely. Just put them on that's the table. In, <laughs> that's especially important for women and for parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And as okay. women, I think we hesitate to do that more than men. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. We're, we're generally, a lot of us are we pretty peaceful souls. That's right. Yeah. 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 All right. My last question then is, where are you in your life in terms of motherhood? Oh, that's so easy to answer. I, you know, I'm having my first grandchild at age 62 uh, Mm. in September, and it is circling back every emotion I have had with my four sons, Um, the joys, the challenges, the uncertainties, the fears. Um, mm-hmm. while, while supporting my mother, uh, who's mm-hmm. 88 and, uh, this will be her first great grandchild. Mm-hmm. Um, and then watching my sons watch their oldest brother go through this process. It is such a gift. Um, mm. and I've been waiting a very long time. You are in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have oh, a Ginger. next Friday. So, you know, lots lots going on as a mom this year. Lots. You one of you, one of your sons is getting married? One is getting married next next Saturday. Yeah. Oh. You are in the thick of it. This is a really amazing time in your life. It is. Yeah. You're throwing, you know, a wedding and you're expecting a grandchild and you are um co sponsoring the biggest kick-ass demonstration in Washington, <laughs> D.C. to come down the pike in a while. Oh, but it's all it's all great, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm sure many of us are going to just, you know, really want to rest after Mother's Day, but the energy going forward is really high. Yeah, yeah. Mother's Day is to maternal health advocates as tax day is to accountants. Yes, there you <laughs> yeah. go. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ginger, this has just been so much fun. I feel like you and I could talk forever absolutely but i'm gonna let you i'm gonna go let you do your thing and um we're gonna get this podcast out asap so that people who listen can sign up register and go thank you so much Jeannie. we really appreciate it my pleasure we'll talk again okay bye-bye bye-bye mama said there'll be days like this there'll be days like this mama said our guest today was Dr. Ginger Breedlove, Senior Vice President of Clinical Operations at Baby and Company. You can learn more about them at 
babyandcompany.com, and that's baby A and D company. You can learn more about the March for Moms in Washington, D.C. over at marchformoms.org. And you'll find all the information you need to register and um, get ready to go if that's possible. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. You can tweet me at jeanfaulkner, email me jean at jeanfaulkner. Uh, you can pick up my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, everywhere that books are sold. Please go pick up a copy and give one to somebody you love. Common Sense Pregnancy is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. We'll talk again next week, everybody. Bye-bye.